Well, good evening. Uh, it is good to see you tonight, and we are going to be in the book of Acts, so if you want to turn to Acts chapter 1, uh, but welcome. We're glad that you're here, and for those of you who are joining online or listening to this, we are so glad that you're here as well. I'm just praying that for everyone as we get into the book of Acts tonight, that God opens our eyes to see him in a unique way and that we respond in obedience to him. And I'm excited to be able to preach. It's actually been a while since I've gotten to do this, um, and so it's neat to be on this side, uh, not, not with a guitar around my shoulders, but, but to just be able to deliver the word uh, to you this weekend. And tonight, we're gonna be in the book of Acts, and really, we're just gonna be in the first few verses. That's where we're gonna camp out. We're gonna be looking at the message of the resurrection. Uh, so last week and this week, even next week, are almost kind of like a mini-series in some ways, because we're looking at the resurrection. Last week, the power and reality of the resurrection. This week, the message of the resurrection. And next week, we'll be talking about some of the implications in the believer's life of the resurrection. And so if you are interested and have been going through the book of Acts, and you might have questions about, okay, what's going on here? Or how does the whole book work together? I just want to encourage you. We have this really cool study group that's available virtually and you can also join in with other people physically called Bible Survey. And this week, they are looking at the whole book of Acts. And they're gonna be chasing kind of the major themes and the missionary journeys and what's happening there. And so that's just gonna be a great supplementary resource to what we're looking at tonight. Uh, so I'd encourage you to check that out or check one of those groups out if you're not already in one. Um, and tonight, like I said, we're really gonna be focusing on the first few verses, and so I'd love for us to read the scripture together. So Acts chapter one, starting in verse one. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And I'll pause right there. So he says, in the first book, and this is the author's Luke, and so just in case you don't know, the gospel of Luke is the first book. And in Luke chapter one, the first few verses, Luke addresses the same guy, Theophilus, that he's writing this account for. And now this is the second book. This is Jesus and the story of Jesus and his church continued. So that's what he's talking about. Until the day, verse two, when he, Jesus, was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, John, and James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, 
James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brother. Then I'd love for us to turn over to Luke chapter 24. So we've seen kind of one angle of this story. Luke, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, captures a little uh, different angle in Luke chapter 24. We're gonna start in verse 46 and read through the end of the chapter. And he said to them, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands, he blessed them, and while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I'd love to pray for you for a moment. If you would just pray for me and ask that God would move in this time. Father, we love you. We need you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd open our eyes to see you, that you remove any distraction uh, from you being glorified. Change us and help us so that we might follow you and love you as we should. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I love these verses and I love the implications that they have for us. Uh, and tonight we're gonna be talking about what does this look like for us? And I think it's important uh, that we recognize that as we walk through this text and we kind of look through it with our lens, we can't help but look through it through the lens of 2020. And 2020 has been a crazy year and a lot of difficulty, a lot of uncertainty, uh, but it's also brought some funny moments too. And so this weekend I, I pulled a few of my favorite memes that I've seen for 2020. I wanted to share them with you if you can see these. So here's one. If 2020 was a math problem, it would be something like this. You're going down a river at two miles per hour and your canoe loses a wheel. How much pancake mix would you need to reshingle your roof? Sounds about right, right? 2020 doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Let's give another one. If 2020 was a scented candle, sounds pretty good, right? You've got the, the porta potties on fire, so if it was a, 20, a scented candle, and I've got one more, there are a lot to choose from. If 2020 was a slide, it would look something like this. A little roll and then a cliff, just straight down. And so that's funny, and, and we all get it. This has been a crazy year. Whatever we came into 2020 expecting it to look like, it has looked nothing like that. And I, I don't know about you, but, but one of the things that have been true for me is I've had to personally wrestle with, how do I follow Jesus faithfully in light of everything that's happened in 2020? Can we have masks, and we have social distancing, and we have all the awkwardness and racial tension, we have a, a a tense political season that's upon us. How do we, how do I, how do we as the people of God, how do we follow Jesus faithfully? How do we navigate these challenges that are happening around us, but also the uncertainties that are even happening in our own heart as things are getting kind of disrupted and disheveled and moved all around? And I want you to feel that tension tonight as we go through this text because I believe that the early followers of Jesus were feeling similar tensions 
They had just gone through Jesus' death and burial and the doubts and the uncertainty about why Jesus had to die and why did it have to be this way and now he's risen again, but he's leaving again. And he's giving them this commission to go, not just in Jerusalem, but to go to the ends of the world and think about who he's talking to. Fishermen, tax collectors, women who uh, have no standing in government or authority. And, and these are the people that are gonna go to the ends of the world proclaiming this gospel message. There must be uncertainty. In fact, in Matthew 28, in the Great Commission account of this, it talks about some seeing Jesus and still having doubt. And we don't know who all those people were, but we recognize that this thing that he was calling the church to do and to be would have been above their pay grade, to say the least. And so as we wrestle through the tension of how do we faithfully follow Jesus, this passage of scripture that we just read helps us look and see how the early church, how the disciples, how the original followers of Christ, how they walked into the uncertainty, how they walked into the fear, how they walked into the unknown for how are we gonna do this? What is this gonna look like? How are we gonna be obedient to this charge? And what I want you to see that, that they see and the thing that fueled the gospel's advance all through the book of Acts that, that starts off here and the thing that's true for you and for me today and nothing has changed this. 2020 has not changed this. Nothing that's happened in your life, good or bad, in the last several months has changed this reality that shapes the way we live and that's our big truth for this morning. It's this, because Jesus is alive, we go. The thing that has not changed and the thing that fueled the disciples' mission and the early church's mission is the same thing that fuels you and me today as Jesus followers, and that's the resurrection. Because Jesus was dead and has come to life and he is living now and he's defeated sin and he's defeated death, we can walk in confidence no matter what this life faced, amen? No matter what comes our way, no matter what challenges are in front of us, no matter the uncertainties that are there, we can walk in obedience and we can walk in confidence because of the resurrection, because Jesus is alive. Luke 22, 46 through 48, read it just a minute ago, Jesus said this, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. Jesus is saying, because I am alive and you have witnessed this, you can go be my ambassadors. In the Matthew 28 account, the Great Commission account, Jesus will say that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Because Jesus is alive, we go. Because of the resurrection, we go. The resurrection changes everything. Jesus is alive, it's not just a story, it's a reality. Not only is Jesus alive, but Jesus raises the spiritually dead to life. And so if you're a Christian, you're a Jesus follower in this room, that means that you were once dead in your sin, and that God, through the Holy Spirit, opened your eyes to see your deadness, to see Jesus as the only Savior. You repented of your sins, you placed faith in him, and he brought you from death to life. That's what we celebrate every time we celebrate baptism, this picture of going in the water and out of the water. It's a picture from death to life. Jesus is alive, and we have been made alive, and so that we can live in light of the resurrection. We aren't in need of self-improvement. We are a people in need of resurrection. 
But praise God, resurrection is possible because Jesus rose from the dead. But not only does the resurrection change everything, and this is, this is where we're gonna go tonight, the resurrection is the means for the mission. The mission that you've been called to give your life to, and the mission that I've been called to give my life to, and the mission that all Jesus followers are called to give their lives for, the resurrection is the means for that mission. Acts 1, 1 through 3, Luke said this, all that Jesus began to do and teach, insinuating that it's not finished. Jesus' work isn't finished. It's just gonna look different now. It's not gonna happen through his physical witness on the earth. It's gonna happen through the witness of the Holy Spirit living through the lives of his followers. Redemption's work is finished. The price has been paid, but the mission is not finished until Jesus comes again. And he says in verse three, at the end of verse three, he presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And that's a really important phrase. If you circle, highlight, underline your Bible, you wanna mark that one. And it's not a phrase that appears a lot in the book of Acts, but it appears all throughout the gospels. But it does appear in two significant places in the book of Acts. It appears right here. Then it also appears in the very last verse of the very last chapter of Acts, chapter 28, verse 31. And in scripture, whenever you see a phrase that is repeated at the beginning and at the end, it's, it's showing you that this is the main focus of that book. This is the main focus of that chapter. And so he's saying the coming of the kingdom of God is what Acts is all about. And the means by which that happens is through the Holy Spirit working in his church. So that all that Jesus taught about living for God's kingdom and God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven, his will being done on earth as it is in heaven, happens through the book of Acts. And it's supposed to happen in and through us as well. And it's all because of the resurrection. That the gospel and the good news would spread not just to Jerusalem, but to the ends of the earth. This was promised in the Old Testament. Isaiah 49, six says this, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What was promised is now possible because of the resurrection. And so the book of Acts is this overview of how the Spirit is gonna move through the early church in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And that work still continues today in and through you and me, in and through his church. And so because Jesus is alive, we go. We go, well, what do we go do? We go make disciples. Well, how do we go make disciples? How do we live in light of the resurrection? What does that look like in real life? What does that look like practically? Well, what I wanna do in the time we have less is just walk back through these verses. And what I wanna pull out are, are seven marks that we see about this early church, about this commission and how they lived and what Jesus called them to. And these seven things are called for us to be true to as well. And as we walk through this, I, I just wanna encourage you, I'm assuming that most people, if you're here tonight, you're here because you wanna be here. There's all kinds of reasons why you could stay away on a Saturday night during COVID time. 
but if you're here tonight, you're listening to this tonight, you're watching this online, it's because you want to follow Jesus and you want to leverage your life for the glory of God. You want to be obedient to the purpose God has created you. And so as we walk through these, these big ideas, these implications, these marks of what it looks like to go, I just wanna encourage you to just measure these things against your life and say, are these things true of me? Let them be an evaluative point for your soul. And as we go through some of these, I think you're probably gonna be challenged and even convicted in some of these. And I just wanna challenge you that before you leave tonight or before you turn this off or move to whatever's next in your day, if you're listening or watching this, is to really take a moment to respond, to repent, to return. Because again, we talked about 2020 a minute ago. God has set us, you, me, Tri-Cities Baptist Church, he has set us in this moment in 2020 to be his ambassadors to be salt and light. It's not by accident that we are called to be the church of today. And so may these things that are true of the early church, may they become true of us as well as we go in light of the resurrection. So it's enough set up. Let's walk through these together. The first couple big ideas I'm gonna spend a little bit more time on, so don't get worried. The last few will move a little faster through, so just giving you a heads up. If you're a note taker, don't freak out on me. Big idea number one, we go in the Holy Spirit's power and presence. How do we go? How do we live in light of the resurrection? How do we go make disciples? We go in the Holy Spirit's power and presence. Luke 24, 49. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. This isn't just a random promise. When he says the promise, he's talking about the promised one, the Holy Spirit that, that Jesus speaks all about in John and the other gospel accounts but stay until in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Again, reference to the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. How is the early church able to multiply so fast? How is the early church able to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth? There is only one way that they could do it. And there's only one way that you and I can live on mission, go make disciples now, and it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Apart from the Holy Spirit's work in your life and my life and in our church, it is impossible for us to be faithful followers of Christ. Impossible. We have to have the Holy Spirit at work in us. So let me just walk us through a few realities about the Holy Spirit really quickly. First is this, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's a person. He's a person of the Godhead. He is a person of the Trinity. Sometimes when we think about the Holy Spirit, it kind of feels like that weird uncle or aunt that we all have, right? Like they're in our family and they're kind of important, but we're not really sure what to do with them. It's kind of weird. We kind of hope they won't show up this Thanksgiving, but if they do, we'll be nice to them. We kind of feel that way about the Holy Spirit. Like we kind of get God the Father. We've had a father before. We kind of get God the Son, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's harder for us, but he is fully God, co-equal with the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is the promise. Jesus promised that the Spirit would come in multiple places. Acts 1.5, he talks about this, that John the Baptist is gonna preach repentance and baptism, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit one day. In fact, Jesus even says in John 14 that it's better for his disciples for Jesus to go away and the Spirit to come, that they would do far more 
for the advancement of the gospel than even he did. Third, it's impossible for us to achieve the mission to go make disciples apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. It's important to note that twice in this Acts account and also in the Luke account that Jesus says, wait, don't go out of the city. Wait until the Holy Spirit has come. In fact, in the Luke account, in the Greek, it literally means stop departing from the city. You kind of get this picture the disciples are leaving to go tell people about Jesus. She's like, no, stop, don't go tell people about me yet. You need to wait until the Holy Spirit comes. We cannot advance the gospel or make the good news known apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in and through us. But we also see the power of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse eight, and you will receive power. And that word power, it's dunamis. It's the word where we get dynamite from. Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Not you might receive power, but you will receive power. So we should ask the question, power to do what? Power like superpower, like to fly or punch through walls and we just need to figure out what our power is? No, that's not what it's talking about. Power to be a witness for Jesus. Look, that's what he says in verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will, not maybe, not might, but when the Holy Spirit comes on your life, you will be my witnesses. And so if you're sitting here tonight saying, I wanna live in the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to know the presence of the Holy Spirit, I want the Holy Spirit to live in and through me, this is really important. We don't experience the power and presence of the Holy Spirit unless we are living in obedience to God's word, which the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to. And so if we're walking in sin and we're building our own kingdom, we're living for ourselves and we're saying, man, I, I don't see this power at work in me. Maybe it's because you've not set your heart and set your actions to follow God in full obedience to him. But as we walk in obedience to the spirit and walk in obedience to the word that God has given us, the Holy Spirit says he will help us be witnesses. So is the Holy Spirit at work in you is a good question to ask. How do I know the Holy Spirit's at work in me? Do you see the, whole, the fruit of the Spirit growing in your life? Galatians 5, 22. Do you see love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness? When we go through the list, are those things being cultivated in your life as you love the word, as you run from sin, as you pursue holiness, as you share the gospel, and as you do those things that are clear biblical commands that God's called us to, the Holy Spirit will help you fight sin. The Holy Spirit will help you pursue holiness. The Holy Spirit will help you love God's word. The Holy Spirit will help you proclaim the gospel message. And you might be sitting here tonight and you might say, man, I've got questions about the Holy Spirit. Like this whole thing's just fuzzy for me. I, I just have questions I'm wrestling with. I just wanna encourage you uh, to send a note to Behind the Message. And the links, I think, will be up on the screen. You can find it later, but you can send an email, an email question in the mailbag. And this week, we'll answer those questions regarding the Holy Spirit that you might have. So I just encourage you, that's another way that you can kind of seek some things out with that. So we go in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we go as witnesses. We are called to go as witnesses. Acts 1, 8, and you will be my witnesses. Luke 24, 48, 
you are witnesses of these things. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a witness? Witness can mean three things in the New Testament. Let me give them to you very quickly. First one is this. One is eyewitness, to, to see something. So the apostles, the disciples, they were literal eyewitnesses. They saw Jesus physically die. They saw him carried away and be buried. They saw him alive, resurrection. They were eyewitnesses to the account of the gospel. Well, you and I don't get to be eyewitnesses to the account, but the good news is we have the eyewitness account of the gospel. So one of the ways we bear witness to the gospel is by knowing the gospel and sharing the gospel. A second word for witness or thing that witness means is to bear witness. It's a, it's a judicial turn. So think of a courtroom scene and a witness being called to the stand. And when that witness is called to the stand, what are they supposed to do? Tell the Truth, the whole truth, and you gotta help me out. Nothing but the, ah, thank you. You guys are still awake, that's awesome. Nothing but the truth. This is important. It is not the responsibility of the witness to convince everyone of the truth, to prove to everyone beyond a shadow of a doubt of what is true and what is false. What is the responsibility of the witness? To declare the truth, the whole truth, and this is important for us in today's Christianity, nothing but the truth. We are tempted to proclaim a lot of things, but not the whole truth. See, it's not your job and my job to go out to your family and your coworkers and to your places where you play and beyond and share the gospel and try to make everyone believe, to convince them beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is true. You cannot do it. It is a supernatural work that opens someone's mind and heart to know the truth of God's word. But you and I are called to go bear witness of the truth. So this is a, a really practical application. Are you, am I, faithfully proclaiming the truth about what Jesus has done? Are you, am I, faithfully telling the people in our life about what Jesus has done for you? How he saved you? how he called you out of darkness into marvelous light. We are called to go be witnesses of this account. The last meaning of witness here, the word in the Greek is literally the word marturos. It's the word where we get our, our, our word martyr from. So this is the literal rendering if we were to read it together. And you will be my martyrs in Jerusalem. You're gonna be my martyrs in Judea. You're gonna go be my martyrs in Samaria. In fact, you're gonna go be my martyrs to the end of the earth. And we know, history tells us, that most of these men were martyred for their faith. What does that mean for us? Does that mean that we all need to go out and die? That's not what this means. But what this does mean is that we are called to go be physical witnesses of the gospel, meaning this in your suffering, in your hardship, in your job loss, in your sickness, in your cancer, in your marriage that's really hard right now, in your parenting, your wayward children, in that job you can't stand, you get to be a physical martyr, a physical representation of the gospel to everyone who sees your life. That when you suffer well, and you suffer with joy, 
and you proclaim hope when you've lost everything, that makes Jesus look glorious. In fact, this is what the Apostle Paul talks about in Colossians 1.24. He says, I'm filling up in my body the afflictions of Christ. Now, Christ had already gone. So what is he saying? He's saying that you can't see Jesus beaten and hung on a cross, but you can see me beaten and hope in Jesus Christ. That one of the most powerful witnesses we have in this world is to walk through difficulty, suffering, hardship, and maybe even persecution and love Jesus and proclaim his name above every name. And when we do that, we make the gospel look glorious. Church, are we gonna suffer well? Are we gonna bear witness? Are we gonna be bold? Because of the resurrection, that Jesus is alive and the hope of that, we can be. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be. So we go in the Holy Spirit's power and presence, we go as witnesses. Third, we go to our neighbors and we go to the nations. We go to our neighbors and the nations. And if you've been a part of Tri-Cities, that terminology shouldn't surprise you. You know what that means. And he says in this passage, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's through their neighbors, all Judea, Samaria, that's further out, and to the ends of the earth, to the nations. Luke 24, 46 through 47, he said that the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. So where do we go? Who do we go to? We go to our neighbors, we go to those here around us, and then we go to the ends of the earth. And that's literally what happens in the book of Acts. That this verse, Acts 1.8, is the main picture of how the gospel spreads. It begins in Jerusalem at Pentecost. It spreads out to the regions of Judea and Samaria. You can look at that in Acts chapter eight and beyond. And then it goes to the ends of the earth through Paul's missionary journeys. And that's the way the gospel still spreads today, through your family, your friends, your coworkers, in our city, in our country. And we pray to the ends of the earth. So here's a practical point of application for you tonight. Who are you burdened for? Who are you burdened for? Or to use our language, who's one of your three names? Who's in your life that your heart aches because they don't know Jesus? When you drive around our city, when you drive around our neighborhood, does your heart ache? Where, where we live, we kind of are on a side road, but sometimes I'll run down, we have a couple neighborhoods around us, and there's one that's on this high hill, and, Whenever I do run, I don't run nearly as much as I need to, but when I do, I try to go up that hill and I'll always try to stop because at the top of it, I can see all these neighborhoods in gray, hundreds of families. And I just pray for those families. God, would you bring revival here? God, would you break in? I don't know what's happening in those homes. God, would you break in? God, would you break my heart for these people that you've placed me around? When you drive through downtown Johnson City or Jonesboro or Kingsport, does your heart break for the city. When you think about our country and all the tension and all the trouble and all the trial, does our heart break? Because the real solution isn't just reconciliation or better laws or a better president. It is Jesus Christ. It's the only hope. And are we aware of these nations, these flags we see around us? And do we pray that the gospel would go there? That God would use us to be a part of that? Friends, are you burdened for your neighbor? Are you burdened for the nations? Fourth, 
we go proclaiming repentance and faith. So when we go to the neighbors, when we go to the nations, when we go as witnesses, we go proclaiming repentance and faith. Look at Luke 24, 47. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. This is really important. We cannot declare the gospel if we don't call people to turn from sin and turn to Jesus. And Pastor Mike talked about this some last week, so I won't spend a lot of time here, but you've heard it said before, share the gospel when necessary, use words. Friends, that's not the gospel. The gospel must be shared, the good news must be proclaimed, and that good news is to turn from this path you're on and turn to Jesus. That he is your only hope. He is the only one who can save you. And so it's repentance. This is what he says, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And it's faith. Be proclaimed in his name, trusting in him fully. Think about it this way. What if you had someone in your life, and maybe some of you do, and you found out they have cancer, and it's still at a place where there is treatment and that treatment is possible. And they're talking to you and they're so excited because they're on this new treatment medication, this new treatment plan, and it's supposed to really help if they take this medication on a regular basis that it can cure their cancer. And you're excited for them, you go over to their house and they hand you the bottle of the pills they're taking and you look at the bottle and it's Tylenol. The most unloving thing that we could do in that moment is say, man, I hope that, that helps you. No. Friend, this will not save you. This will not cure your cancer. You need a different medication. You have the wrong medication. You're looking to the wrong thing. That would be an act of love to say what you're putting your hope in to save you cannot save you. And friends, because Jesus is alive and we've experienced the life of the resurrection, we have the cure. We know the remedy, we have it, and so it is unloving when we look at people in our lives who are putting their hope in things that cannot save them. And we smile, and we affirm them. They're trying to find it in their possessions, and they show you their possessions, and you talk about how nice their possessions are, and you never talk about Jesus. They put a post on social media about their self-image, and. You talk about how beautiful they are, I talk about how beautiful they are without pointing out the fact that they're trying to find their worth and their beauty instead of worth and the only thing that matters. We do this all the time, we don't even realize it. We affirm the idols that people are pursuing instead of calling them to look at the Savior, the only one who can actually solve the thing that their heart longs for most. So we must call them to repent and call them to faith in Jesus Christ. And we do that boldly because that is what someone did for us. So we go proclaiming repentance and faith. Next big idea. Not only do we go proclaiming repentance and faith, but we go in the confidence of Jesus' return. And I wish I could just camp out here. This is a message in and of itself. But I love in verse 11 of Acts chapter one, it says, this Jesus, the angels are speaking, who was taken up from heaven, this is good, will come. Friends, Jesus is coming again. He is coming again, literally coming again. It could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be a year from now, but he will come again. 
And one of the main things that shaped the New Testament writers in the early church and the church throughout history was a confidence and urgency because Jesus is coming again. And I fear in our postmodern American Christianity that we've lost our sight on the reality that Jesus is coming again. Life is short. The gospel is urgent. Jesus is coming again. And so it gives us confidence, but also creates urgency. And so point of application, praise Psalm 90 verse 12. I encourage you to write that down. Psalm 90 verse 12, teach us to number our days so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Lord, help me to number my days. Help me to live in the reality, the confidence that Jesus is coming again so I can proclaim whatever and whatever happens to me, I'm gonna be okay because Jesus is coming again. But also the urgency that Jesus is coming again. My time on life is short. I wanna be faithful with the life that I have. Next big idea. We go in persistent prayer. So we go in the confidence of Jesus' return, but then we also go in persistent prayer. Read this earlier twice, Acts 1.14. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. Again, you could preach a whole message on that. Above and beyond everything else, they were devoted to prayer. The Holy Spirit was gonna come, Jesus is resurrected, and what's the first thing they do? They pray. What do you and I pray for? Prayer is not about getting things from God. Prayer is about aligning our heart with God's heart. It's a realigning our cares, realigning our hopes around what God desires. That's why in Matthew chapter six, Jesus said to pray the way he did. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May you be glorified, may you be lifted high, may I see you that way. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, help me be about your kingdom, not my kingdom. Give me today our daily bread, give us today our daily bread. Just give me what I need. Don't give me more than I need because if you give me more than I need, I won't think I need you anymore. How often has that happened to us in America? Don't give me too little, too much lack, or I might not trust you. Help me to be a person of forgiveness who understands the repentance and forgiveness I've received. Help me to be a person who repents of sin and forgives others. And lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Help my gaze be totally fixed on you. If we wanna be like the early church, we must devote ourselves to prayer in one accord as a people pursuing him. One of the things I've been convicted about just in my own life, and even with my life group, this is something that I've been working on changing, is we spend a lot of time talking about prayer when we gather as Christians. Do we actually spend time praying with one another? And when we spend time talking about prayer and praying as Christians, are we praying for God's kingdom to come and will be done, or are we just praying about the problems we have in our life? And it's not that God doesn't care about our problems, he does but he wants us to see our problems in light of his purposes. What would happen in your life? What would happen in your home? What would happen in our church if we began devoting ourselves to prayer? God's kingdom would come and his will be done in us. It might just change 
everything. Which leads to our last big idea, the last of the seven marks that we see in this passage. We go, because Jesus is alive, he rose from the dead, we go in joyful worship. We go in joyful worship. I, I want you to think about these verses. They're so important. Luke 24, 52 through 53 says, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. I've just underlined those words. They worshiped him and great joy. Worship, great joy. Worship, great joy. Friends, can I just ask you a question tonight? And we're moving into a time of response. What are you worshiping tonight? What is getting the praise and the worth of your life tonight? And secondly, who or what are you trying to find your joy in? What are you trying to find your joy in? One of the distinguishing marks of the early church was that their joy was in Jesus. Their joy was full. And so that's why they were willing to undergo persecution. That's why they were willing to be thrown in prison. That's why they were willing to go through difficulty and hardship. That's why they were willing to commit themselves to the body because of Jesus Christ. Are you, am I, finding our joy in Jesus? Are we looking for joy in something or someone else? So I just wanna invite the band to come up and, and we're gonna go into a time of response and I just wanna encourage you as, as they lead us and they're gonna lead us in a couple songs, not to leave, not to check out, but to actually consider your ways, consider your life, consider your, your hope. What is it resting in? This afternoon, I heard a story about a couple in New York City and they're part of a church that's there and the pastor was talking to them and they're very affluent, very powerful, do, uh, you know, could go anywhere and do anything. And in New York right now, it's probably not the place, the city, the place you wanna be. The school systems, COVID, the racial tensions, the political tensions, people are leaving the city in mass just because of all the hardship that's there. And this pastor is asking this couple, what are you gonna do? And they could easily leave. They could easily go and make just as much money in a safe place. And they said, you know, it doesn't make any sense for us to stay here. Economically, physically, for our kids' education, it makes no sense except for the fact that we're Christians. And because Jesus died to save us, why would we leave hardship where people need the gospel more than anything to go to safety? as we come into a moment of response and as you think through these things, does the resurrection change the way you view your witness, your life? What have you placed your joy and your hope in? So I just wanna invite you to bow your head and close your eyes where you are and I just wanna pray over you. And as you're there, I just wanna challenge you to think about and assess, Lord, what? What am I living for? Maybe a better question is this, who is your king? And what kingdom are you building your life around tonight? As 
your King, Jesus. Is he the one who has all your allegiance? Is he the one who has your heart? And are you living to build his kingdom or your kingdom? His kingdom or the kingdom of your children? His kingdom or the kingdom of your career? His kingdom or the kingdom of your safety? His kingdom or the kingdom of your health? His kingdom or the kingdom of the approval of others? What kingdom are you living for? And anything that's in competition, I just wanna invite you tonight to open your hands and surrender and give it to him. Lord Jesus, would you do that in this place? Would you do that in our hearts, in our lives? Would you help us to live you being our king and live for your kingdom? Break down the false saviors that grab our attention, grab our hearts. Help us that we might live for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.